Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Hello, and welcome to episode 111 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. Mm. Sorry, I was taking a huge gulp of my drink. Yes, you were. I'm Beth. (laughs) (laughs) I've got the true crime and not the drink because we're doing this virtually again. But Beth is enjoying the drink enough for both of us, I think. Mm -hmm. I am for all of you. Before you go into that drink, darling, we have something to say, don't we? (laughs) I don't know, Mom. Do we? (laughs) I don't know. That blank expression you just gave me. (laughs) I didn't know where you were going with that. Just a reminder, you guys, starting in June, we will be releasing episodes every other week. So our next episode comes out Memorial Day. And then the next episode after that won't come out until June 13th. And then it'll be every other week for June and July, maybe parts of August, just because I have all three kids at home. And once school starts, then we'll go back into every week. And a reminder (laughs) to leave a review on iTunes. Send us your screen name. or Is that what you call it on there? Gosh, somebody please tell me what you call that. Your name on iTunes. Don't look at me. (laughs) Your name on Apple Podcasts. Either message it to us. Send us a screenshot that you left a review and you'll be entered for a reward. Oh, on June 1st, we'll be making that announcement. That's right. I kind of forgot about that, too. We haven't been talking about that. (laughs) Guys, there's a lot going on. Oh, but back... See, I'm just bouncing around. Have I lost you guys yet? But back to releasing every other week. If you join us on Patreon, you won't be having those gaps in your hangover. You will be getting Killer Hangover every week because we'll be releasing an episode on there every other week. (laughs) You're confusing yourself. Alternate weeks. You get the gist? Okay. So the yummy (laughs) cocktail I am drinking. (laughs) It's almost gone. She's just guzzling that thing. Well, it's really tasty. And I'm really surprised how tasty it is because it's whiskey and brandy. That's what I thought. It looked like a whiskey drink. And I, yeah, surprised me too. I have never been a whiskey brandy fan and then, or a gin fan. But ever since I've had Finnegan give me all the booze, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I ain't picky. All right. I'm doing the new thing, guys. I'm, I picked the cocktail based on my paranormal story. I'm sorry, yes. Texas. This is not necessarily based on or from Texas. Texas. I kind of like this. This is called the Teddy Roosevelt Mint Julep. Okay. So apparently he actually grew mint at the White House. For this. For this. Sort of like I grow mint just for mojitos. But that's at your house. That's not at the White House. That's a little <laughs> more impressive. I'm it's sorry. It's at the Brown House. <laughs> I thought I was drinking. Anyway, (laughs) the episode, the episode, the episode calls for the recipe, (laughs) 
12 peppermint leaves, one cube of sugar, a teaspoon of water, two ounces of whiskey, a fourth ounce brandy, one cup crushed ice, and a mint sprig. Of course, I didn't do that. But step one. Oh, by the way, I found this on recipezaz.com. Step one, muddle the mint leaves and sugar cube and water in the bottom of a glass until it resembles a paste. Did you do that? I did, <laughs> but not with a muddler. I don't have that. We need to get muddlers. I don't have a muddler either. We need a muddler. <laughs> oh my gosh, I totally forgot. We had a cocktail contributor this week. So maybe I just use that cocktail contributor's funds for a muddler. <laughs> Thank you, Angie, for the cocktail dollars you sent us. Oh, thank you. Yes. Okay, so back to step two. <laughs> you fill the glass generously with the ice, the crushed ice. Mm -hmm. Then you pour in the alcohol, and then you top it with the sprig of mint or don't. <laughs> it's probably minty enough without the sprig of mint. It's really yummy. It must be you're just really drinking that. I'm that is really boozy. I'm surprised. Oh well that you <laughs> told you can't be picky. I don't know what you want me to say. <laughs> Maybe it's just what the doctor ordered. Which is a segue into <laughs> I <laughs> I was sitting here quietly waiting. <laughs> I knew it was coming. <laughs> I knew it was coming. I know you too well. <laughs> All right. In December 2011, the following email was written. Anyone close to me think, and yes, uh, I'm reading it exactly the way it was written, okay? Some of the words don't make sense, but... Okay, so it's not just you. Got it. <laughs> Anyone close to me think that, that I likely am something between God, Einstein, and the Antichrist, because how can I do anything I want and cross every discipline boundary like it's a playground and never ever lose what i am being is what i am one of a kind a mother effer bad word <laughs> bad words stone killer that can buy or own or steal or ruin or build whatever he wants just taking a guess and i probably already blew it but what occupation do you think the author of this email was well, I wouldn't have known from that quote, but I'm assuming because of your great old segue, a doctor? A doctor? <laughs> yes. With that horrible English? I know. Surprising, right? But maybe a, yeah. maybe a doctor on drugs. His name is... Did you just ruin the story? <laughs> no. His name is Christopher Dunch. His occupation was a neurosurgeon. So not just like a family practitioner. He worked on... Backs, I mean, the spine and stuff. A neurosurgeon. Don't they work on brains and, too? Yep. Like Dr. Shepard in Grey's Anatomy? Total blank. <laughs> Total blank on the face. Oh, Derek. He was employed as a minimal invasion spine doctor in hospitals in and around Dallas, Texas, making a salary of uh, $600,000 per year, plus bonuses. <laughs> That's pocket change. <laughs> Uh, don't, please don't misunderstand me. I am totally behind a surgeon of any kind and doctor making money. I have seen, because of Katie, your sister, 
my daughter, how much time and effort and dedication it takes to become a doctor. Absolutely. And honestly, I truly felt a chill when I heard the words to the Hippocratic Oath at Katie's graduation from med school. I'm just going to read a section of it. It goes like this. I will soothe the pain of anyone who needs my art. And if I don't know how, I will seek the counsel of my teachers. I will offer those who suffer all my attention, my science and my love. Never will I betray them or risk their well-being to satisfy my vanity. I will not hurt my fellow or put a knife to his flesh if I don't know how. I will never harm my suffering friend because life is sacred. Under no circumstance, I will use his body to advance my knowledge or my fame. I pray that the attention I give to those who put themselves in my hands will be rewarded with happiness. Now, I don't think Dunch, who graduated from med school and probably had to say this oath, but I don't think he really took it to heart. Just saying. Or maybe during that graduation, he was hung over. Or maybe he was on drugs. I don't know. But I don't think those words sunk in. Christopher Dunch was born in Montana on April 3rd, 1971. His father, Donald, was a physical therapist and a missionary. And Susan, his mother, was a teacher. His family moved to Memphis, Tennessee before Dunch entered junior high. From junior high to high school, he played football, graduated from Evangelical Christian School in 1989. He was really passionate about football and he wanted to play in college. So he earned a scholarship to play at Millsap College in Jackson, Mississippi, but then transferred to Colorado State University, where he earned a spot as a walk-on player. One of his teammates on, on the Colorado team had said, well, he really tried hard. He worked so hard at being a good player. He was in the gym. He was lifting. He was running. He was really working out, but he just did not have the talent at all. Hmm. And he got very little play time there in Colorado. So after a year, <laughs> he left Colorado State and transferred to Memphis State. Now he has a new dream. Instead of becoming a pro football player, he's going to become a neurosurgeon. You know, you see that jump? <laughs> yeah, totally. That absolutely connects. Absolutely. But this actually was a much better fit for him. Was it though, mom? Was it how things ended up? Was it? <laughs> true that, but you don't even know. <laughs> well, I'm we're here in a true crime portion of a podcast. I can only assume. <laughs> okay. He completed his undergraduate degree in 1995, then went on to an MD, PhD program and a neurosurgery residency. During that time, he excelled in research and flourished in this field, seeming to be setting himself up for a successful research career. But then came the reports of drug use. Cocaine and LSD seemed to be his drugs of choice. Engaging in these late into the night and then making rounds the next morning. After several of these reports were filed, all of which Dunst denied, he was sent to, quote, an impaired physician program. Oh my gosh, that exists? A drug rehabilitation, I guess, program. For doctors? For doctors. Specifically for doctors, yes. Interesting. I think the program was like three months. But even after going into this program, he finished his final year after returning from the program in 2010. 
But get this. Okay, I don't understand. He completed his residency having participated in fewer than 100 surgeries. Usually a neurosurgeon resident participates in over a thousand surgeries. Well, that would make sense because you, there are so many different things that go on in a surgery, I'm sure. Right. That they need to practice but on before they get... But he only had a hundred. That's not... I mean, shouldn't you have to achieve those hours before you even graduate? <laughs> I'm shrugging my shoulders right now. <laughs> I mean, I went to hair school <laughs> and I had to achieve... A certain amount of hours on the floor cutting hair before I graduated. I can only assume cutting into somebody's brain or their spine. I don't know, but I think I had to have 100 hours to graduate from hair school. Huh. I could have been a neurosurgeon, apparently. Not. (laughs) After his residency, he went on to complete a spine fellowship program. Okay, so this guy looked great on paper. I mean, he was top-notch doctor. His grades were top-notch. He graduated top of the class. I mean, this guy on paper had it going. Except he didn't have the hours. (laughs) Except for those dang hours. To me, sorry. (laughs) He had spent 15 years in training between medical school, residency, and fellowship, and he had made those top-notch research contributions. And this made him a very impressive candidate for hire. A top-notch candidate. (laughs) Sorry, I said that 10 times. Top-notch. Although Dunch had focused most of his attention on the PhD part of his degree, he was in debt for over $500,000. Oh, wow. He needed something that brought in money, so he applied and was accepted as a minimal invasion spine surgeon at Baylor Regional Medical Center in Plano, which is now Baylor Scott and White Medical Center. He was hired in July of 2011, making, as I said, $600,000 per year plus bonuses. Jeez. Shortly after Dunch arrived in Dallas, he was reported <gasps> as... Wait. What? It's it's all coming to me. I know this story. Oh, my gosh. It's all coming to me. Okay, go on. Sorry. <laughs> Dunch arrived in Dallas. He was reported as spouting that he had come to Dallas to clean things up. Everything was being done wrong, and he was going to show them the right way to do things. And just after a month of being at the hospital, he boasted that he was, quote, the best spine surgeon in the U.S. Remember, this best spine surgeon only had 100 surgeries under his belt, okay? Jeez. In November 2011, Dunch operated on his first patient, Kenneth Fennell. After the operation, Kenneth was told by Dunch that the procedure went well. But Fennel was left with chronic pain and discovered that Dunch had operated on the wrong part of his back. (sighs) He went back to Dunch in 2013 for a second operation to relieve the pain. I'm a little confused here because, I mean, I'm not victim blaming here, but I don't think I'd go back to the same surgeon that operated on the wrong part of my spine. Yes and no. I mean... Maybe they didn't understand fully what had gone on. Maybe 
they didn't necessarily know it was Dunch's fault. Maybe they, you know what I mean? Maybe they didn't really understand it all. Well, he did look at reviews um, the second time around also, and he saw all positive reviews. He didn't see any negative reviews. So that's why he thought, okay, he's, you know, he's still a top-notch surgeon. Oh, boy. (laughs) Fortunately, after the second surgery, Kenneth woke to find that he was temporarily paralyzed from the waist down and permanently disabled. After months of rehab, he can now, present day, slowly walk with a cane, but still experiences a lot of pain due to the fact that Dunce had removed part of his femoral nerve. And he did that on the second operation. So he didn't make it better. He made it worse. Oh, yeah. Now, remember, he's doing minimal invasion surgery. So these people are like they're having extreme pain in, for instance, their lower back. So nothing can be done except maybe fuse the the bones together. uh, And people go in for back surgery a lot, right? Right. So this isn't like cut them wide open and do all this stuff. It's it's. It's minimal surgery. I mean, it's still surgery, obviously, or doing a and spinal. It's still, you know, you still have to be very educated to do so. Oh, but. <laughs> yeah. But this isn't like open heart surgery type thing where more things can go wrong is, I guess, what I'm saying. Okay, I'm just going to, because I really want you to realize what this doctor did, I am going to proceed to just introduce some of his patients to you. Lee Passmore, another of Dunch's surgery patients, experienced chronic pain and limited mobility after his surgery. Dunch had cut a ligament which should not have even been touched during the procedure. He had also misplaced hardware in Lee's spine. Inside of him? Yes. Placed a screw which was to keep the hardware in place in the spine. He put the screw in the wrong area. An area that if the screw were to be removed, it would cause Lee to bleed out. Barry Morgeloff was left with bone fragments in his spinal canal after Dunch operated on him. He eventually lost function on his left side and was confined to a wheelchair. Jerry Summers, a friend of Dunch, underwent surgery to have two neck vertebrae fused. Dunch messed that surgery up so badly that Jerry was rendered a quadriplegic until his death in 2021 Mm. due to complications from the operation. That's his friend. Kelly Martin was experiencing back pain in late 2011 due to a fall. She and her husband, Don, felt very fortunate to get on the surgery schedule with the knowledgeable Dr. Dunch. Kelly was to go in for a a simple spine procedure on March 2012. Don kissed her as she was pushed down the hall to pre-op. He was told that he would see his wife in an hour. After two hours passed, Don asked a nurse to check on the status of his wife. Dunch came out to the waiting room, told Don that the surgery had went well, and that Kelly was moving, but was in a lot of pain, so she had to be given more meds. He then went on to say that Kelly would be moved to the ICU and probably would have to stay overnight, but she was going to be all right. Now, keep in mind, she was supposed to go home that day. It was supposed to be an outpatient procedure? Yes. Oh, gosh. What Dunch did not reveal was that Kelly had lost a lot of blood during the operation. 
a doctor at that time that he was talking to him, a doctor was trying to save her life in the ICU. After a time, the ICU physician came out and said the words, no family member wants to hear. We did everything we could. Oh my gosh. Kelly had gone into cardiac arrest and died. Basically, she bled to death. So I have a question. So these are obviously very, very, very horrible. Were there any good surgeries that he was performing? Like, were there surgeries that he was performing that ended up as they should? Very few. <laughs> very, very wow. few. I'll give you the the numbers, but there were very few that he did okay. And, and, and you know, every, everything that I read didn't really go into those because that was my question too. Well, then, you know, give me an example of something he did right, you know? Right. Because, like, where did those good reviews come from? I don't. Did he do it? Did he go right. in there? He was very narcissistic, extremely so. The hospital finally realized that Dunch did not meet their standards of care, hello, and revoked his surgical privileges. Dunch resigned before he could be fired. The hospital allowed this to avoid fighting a wrongful termination suit, publicity, and had he been fired, the hospital would have had to report Dunch to the National Practitioner Data Bank. Without this report, Dunch was able to move to the University General Hospital in Dallas. Which makes this so horrible that he was able to just keep on keeping on. Dunch didn't last as long in this hospital. Floella Brown trusted the new doctor who told her he was the best at spinal surgery. Floella never woke up. Dunch severed an artery in her vertebrae. He refused to stop the surgery and Floella suffered a stroke. Instead of tending to his patient, Dunch then moved on to his next patient. Oh my gosh. Once they start a surgery, I mean, that, that is their patient, you know, and he just basically just left. Now, during all these surgeries, you've got the anesthetic anesthesist that's another word that I'm not very good anesthesiologist um <laughs> and you've got the nurses right so he's not alone in these operating rooms and you might even have like another doctor in there and he had been told with all of these you're doing this wrong or you're cutting in the wrong place or you're you just cut an artery we need to you know stop the blood flow I mean he would just space them out wouldn't listen to any of them that is horrifying. But like, I'm not victim blaming either. But why didn't those people come forward after one or two surgeries with him? Wouldn't that be something or even after one surgery, if he ignored them or it's very hard to get a surgeon fired under these circumstances. And I'll kind of kind of cover that. Instead of tending to his patient, Floella, Dunch moved on to his next patient. In fact, he even refused to transfer her out of his care. So she was basically oh just laying there. She was left in a coma for hours while Dunch played this game. When he finally transferred her, she was brain dead. Oh my gosh, this is so angering. Dunch's next patient was Mary Afford, an active 74-year-old who was scheduled for an easy elective surgery, fusing her two vertebrae. Dunch could not even do this correctly. Couldn't or wouldn't. We'll get back to that. During the surgery, he severed one of her nerve roots while operating on the wrong part of her back. What he did to this woman is just 
atrocious. He twisted a screw into another nerve, left screw holes on her spine, failed to do what the surgery was intended to do, left a screw in her muscle tissue. The screw was so loose that it moved when it was touched. I mean, it was like moving. Oh, gosh. Several of the attendees at the surgery tried to make Dunch aware that the screws were going into soft tissue rather than spinal bone, but he totally ignored them. Mary woke up in extreme pain, pain that meds could not dull. I mean, they were giving her morphine upon morphine, and she was still in terrible pain. Dr. Robert Henderson, a longtime spine surgeon, took Mary in for corrective surgery. What he found filled him with dread. Quote, it was like someone threw some tinker toys in there. He said this in an interview with Oxygen. He even wondered if Dunch was actually a doctor, because anyone with a knowledge of anatomy would know he was in the wrong area of Mary's back. Hmm. Mary was left paralyzed and confined to a wheelchair. Henderson decided to look into Dunch, and in doing so, discovered what had happened at Baylor Plano Hospital. So Mm -hmm. now someone in the higher up, he was a surgeon also, so higher up, now he's looking into things. After leaving University General, Dunch was able to work at three more hospitals in the Dallas area, during which time, oh my gosh, Jeff Cheney was left without feeling on the right side of his body after his surgery. Philip Mayfield was left partially paralyzed from the neck down due to Dunch's drilling into his spinal cord during surgery. Mayfield died in February 2021 from COVID, but his wife is adamant that he was vulnerable to the virus because of the complications caused by his surgery. Hmm. Marshall Muse was in horrible pain after his surgery. Dunch told him, eh, that pain is normal. That pain is normal. Oh, God. Yeah. Because of the pain, Marshall became addicted to opioids, lost his job, his family. The real cause of his pain? Dunch left surgical hardware just kind of floating between the spine and the muscle tissue. Oh, I can't even imagine just the uncomfortableness and the pain that, oh my gosh. Jacqueline Troy had to be sedated for weeks after her surgery, had to be fed via a feeding tube because food was traveling to her lungs, and to this day she can barely speak above a whisper. All because Dunch damaged her trachea and cut one of her vocal cords and an artery during the surgery. Doesn't even make any sense. What happened during Jeff Glidewell's surgery is unbelievable. Dunch, during a routine cervical fusion, thought he saw a tumor in Jeff's neck. What it was was his muscle, his neck muscle. Okay. Now, I don't know if Dunch was going after the tumor or what, but he severed one of Jeff's vocal cords, cut a hole in his esophagus, and sliced an artery. Is he just going in hacking? Uh, uh, He then proceeded to stuff a sponge around the sliced artery and left it in there. I was joking when I said sew it up. Oh, my gosh. Even though several people in the operating room informed him that the sponge was still inside. This sponge caused an infection and Jeff B. 
became septic. And you don't want to become septic. That invades no. your entire body. Vascular surgeon Dr. Randall Kirby opened Jeff back up and found what he described as, quote, the work of a crazed maniac. There was so much wrong with the previous surgery that it actually looked like Dunch had tried to kill Jeff. He had been nearly decapitated. Oh my gosh. Jeff now lives with one vocal cord, permanent damage to his esophagus, and partial paralysis on his left side. This was to be Dunch's last surgery. For two long years, Dr. Kirby and Dr. Henderson, as well as other medical professionals, had investigated Dunch and informed the Texas Medical Board through written documents and personally visiting the members of the board, making them aware of all the botched surgeries Dunch was responsible for. This is a quote. The medical board must stop this sociopath Dunch immediately or he will continue to maim and kill innocent patients. End of quote. Dr. Randall Kirby warned the board. The board suspended Dunch's license in June 2013 while they looked into the cases and finally, in December of 2013, the board revoked his license. That's just so long. Now, you can't even wrap your mind around the fact that in less than two years, this horrible person who has been named Dr. Death, but he calls himself the most learned surgeon, performed 38 surgeries. And out of those 38, 33 had gone horribly wrong. Oh, my gosh. Two patients died. One patient left the hospital as a quadriplegic and others left with permanent painful injuries that would be with them for the rest of their lives. Dunch had to take responsibility, but he was protected by Texas law. Yeah. Out of 38 surgeries, because you had asked me, of 38 right. surgeries, 33 went wrong. Oh my gosh. Those other five need to just count their blessings. Like, I don't even know. I don't, I don't even know. I don't know how they got out of there. In April 2015, Dunch was arrested, but not for his medical or non-medical practices, but rather for shoplifting at Walmart. You're kidding. According to a Dallas police affidavit, Dunch was caught on camera at Walmart trying to walk out without paying for $887 worth of sunglasses, watches, ties, briefcases, cologne, and other items. What? For, from, from Walmart? Like, Dunch had changed he... into a pair of Walmart pants in a dressing room, put his own pants into a cart, and push, just push the cart with all the crap in there. Just push the cart out the door. Oh my gosh, was he on drugs when he did this? <laughs> I'm sorry, this guy's... He was jailed but posted bail, you know. Three months later, Dunch was arrested and charged with five counts of aggravated assault causing serious bodily harm and one count of injury to an elderly person. Prosecutors wanted the longest possible sentence to keep Dunch out of the operating room, so the focus was on the injuries afflicted on Mary Eford, the active 74-year-old that ended up in a wheelchair, yeah. walked into the hospital and rolled out in a wheelchair, yes. Now, 
for some reason, they, like I said, they really focused on that one because that was going to give him the longest term in prison. The okay. other ones would have been, the other ones he could have gotten out okay. earlier and with parole. But so. why didn't they charge him for all of them? They couldn't. Why? Okay, I hope I'm getting this right, but I mean, doctors are human and there's going to be mistakes made. Okay, it's just, and so they're covered by, you know, insurance and, and that. So it's really hard to prove that like a surgeon is doing either doing this on purpose. So but that, that, that was the problem. 38. Like, I know, but the problem was proving that he was doing it knowing that he was doing it. I see. So there, I see. there's a difference between you're just a really crappy surgeon and there's a between you. Well, I think you should blame the school for graduating him without <laughs> proper education or hours. The two-week trial took place in 2017. When Dunch walked into the courtroom, you had to look twice. It was crazy. His appearance had changed so much. He gained about 30 to 40 pounds, but he wore the same cocky, surly look as he did when he professed to be the best spine surgeon in Dallas. His defense attorney, this is a quote, Dunch isn't a criminal, just a lousy surgeon. That was his defense? Oh, my god! Basically put into a nutshell, yes. It didn't fly. The jury found him guilty of injury to an elderly person and sentenced him to life in prison. Dunch appealed his conviction in 2018, still professing his innocence. Quote, I'm a well-trained surgeon. My record is excellent. 99% of everything that has been said about me is completely false. End quote. This is what he told the Dallas Morning News in 2015. And he stands by that even today. Now, he lost his appeal. Dunch is serving his sentence at OB Ellis Unit of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice in Huntsville. He is 51 years old and will not be eligible for parole until 2045, when he will be 74 years old. Dunch does have two sons by his ex-girlfriend, Wendy Young. She says that Dunch spends his time in prison working out, reading, and studying the Bible. Perhaps he'll learn some humility by studying this Bible? I don't know. <sighs> I, I could have named a lot more people, obviously. I just wanted to give you an idea of these victims. They, they are definitely victims. Now... I know this story from the podcast, Dr. Death. I binged it when it first came out. It was incredibly done. And then last year, I haven't watched it yet, but there was a miniseries that came out on Peacock. Yeah, I couldn't get it. Dr. Death, starring Joshua Jackson as yeah. him. I love Joshua Jackson ever since Dawson's Creek. Oh, <laughs> But he plays the bad guy. Yeah, he plays the very bad guy. And Alec Baldwin plays one of the good doctors that brought him down. Yeah, and then I think it's Chris I think it's um Christian Slater is yeah, the other Christian actor Slater. Yep. It's got yeah. a good cast. I couldn't get it because I don't have Peacock. I haven't watched it. Oh, I, I wanted to watch it before I did this, but that podcast is great. So there's so much more to this story. I just wanted to kind of 
just focus on the enormity of his botched surgeries. If you want to go more in depth about his girlfriend, his living girlfriend, his affairs, his whatever, listen to the podcast that Beth had pointed out, Dr. Death, and that goes into a lot more detail. So I just wet your palate for this and now you can dive into it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh, I forgot all about that podcast. I listened to it like a few years ago when it came out and oh, good job, mom. Well, thank you, darling. Ugh sicko it's so 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 sad you go to your doctor for help well you trust it's like to feel better I, you know i was thinking about all the doctors that now i have but i'm like i trust these people sure plus i was thinking my gosh you know i've had so many surgeries but i totally trust my surgeon i i totally trust her i i can't imagine not trusting a doctor and not trusting a surgeon plus she listens to our podcast so <laughs> Only trustworthy people listen to our podcast. No, she is like the absolute best. I am so lucky that I ended up with her. You know, and she even sent me a baby gift when Finnegan was born. She's she's awesome. I know she is. She is totally awesome. And her nurse, Alex, is amazing. I just, you know, I haven't been, I, I haven't needed a surgery, so I haven't seen them. Which is good. No, that's good, but I miss them. They're just so... They're just so friendly and so welcoming and so, I don't know, they just make you feel good that I miss them. But that's how, <laughs> but that's how doctors should make their patients feel, taken care of and heard. And so right. that's why it's so scary that when these people go under anesthesia and they have full trust in somebody and then they wake up maimed. I mean, you can't, even think, you, can't even, you can't even think about it. Thank God it does not happen that often. Yeah. Thank God there are more good doctors in the world than bad. A ton more good than bad. It was one bad apple, right? I mean, as in any profession, you're going to have the bad apples. I just but... don't think he was educated. I think he just kind of flew by the seat of his pants and conned them all into thinking that he knew what he was doing. He had a drug problem. And even when he was, there was a couple of times that he operated and he reeked of alcohol. Ugh. So. So then that's when I get upset that I hear that because it's like the nurse standing next to him. Why didn't she go say something? And I know, I know. Because they're worried about being fired. Exactly. I get it. I understand. But for the benefit of that patient who woke up with the screw in their muscle or. I know. I not know. Not being able to ever walk again. That's horrible. It, it's terrible. He had an alcohol problem, definitely. He had a drug problem, definitely. He's definitely being cleaned out now, but that little physician respite that he got while he was in residence did not uh, did not take very well. It's horrible. All right. Well, my drink is gone, so it's time for me to cover the paranormal portion of this episode. Let's lighten things up a bit, shall we? Please. She's very excited about this, so. My story starts with a little true crime. (laughs) Just My story starts with a little bit of true crime as well. Well, you have to, I guess, if you have a spirit. (laughs) It's got to be death somewhere. February 1982. There was a musician in San Antonio for a concert. His manager didn't want him to go out and get drunk, so she actually hid all of his clothing. (laughs) That's not the true crime. I'm getting there. This did not stop the rock star. 
He put on one of his manager's dresses and hit the town, (laughs) getting very inebriated. After a few drinks, well, more than a few, I'm sure, the rock star stumbles out of the bar he is in and walks toward the nearest object he can find to urinate on. (laughs) Because that's what rock stars do, I guess, is pee in public areas or on objects. I don't know. This rock star was Ozzy Osbourne, and the object he chose to pee on was a famous epitaph at the Alamo. Oh, no. He was arrested and put in jail. He was released on a $40 bond. But he was forbidden back to perform in San Antonio until 1992, so 10 years later. Wow. I am not covering the Alamo or the Alamo's basement, although I'm sure the Alamo has a few spirits. I am actually going to be covering the bar that Ozzy Osbourne had stumbled out of. (laughs) In his dress. Okay. Okay. I honestly don't know how to pronounce the haunted location I am covering. (laughs) And this cocktail didn't help. It's the Menger or Menger. I think it's Menger. M-E-N-G-E-R. The Menger Hotel. We're going with that. Please don't at me if I'm wrong. Okay. So my story in the location I'm covering comes after the Battle of the Alamo. So the Battle of the Alamo takes place and then they build on this ground. So already you have a lot of death. Right. And a at lot this of spirits. Location. Right. Okay. So this location is across the street from the Alamo. Like Got literally it. like a one minute walk or a quick little stumble out the bar. <laughs> Just a bar stumble away. The Menger Hotel and Bar. First of all, the hotel is one of the oldest and best known hotels in the state of Texas. And the bar, and I think the hotel too, is the oldest still operating bar west of the Mississippi. Oh, wow. So in all actuality, it all started as a brewery, the first brewery in Texas. It was called the Western Brewery, and it was started by William Menger. He was a German immigrant. He brought the crafts of brewing and coppering, working with copper, to Texas with him. And he opened his brewery in the 1850s. He met and fell in love. We're just moving past it. He met and fell in love with a woman named Mary that ran the boarding house just nearby. And they worked together and they merged the two. So his brewery, his brewery was becoming more and more popular and busy. So why not have a place to stay after a night of drinking? Why not? Great idea. The Mengers were quite the entrepreneurs and really had a great deal of success with their 50 rooms that they started to rent out. That's actually quite a few. And they even built this tunnel underground, which stored the beers and like kept them cool. Mm-hmm. But Mr. Menger, he would like pick his drinkers for the night or pick his favorite people. And he would bring them down to the tunnels and like share his story and share about the beer and stuff. He's, right. I don't know. Some people said he was a little bit of a narcissist, but I don't know. He, I think he was very successful. And Right. Here is my tunnel. Here are my beers. <laughs> I don't know. Would you like to sample? <laughs> and honestly, he was so successful that he actually bought out all of his competitors. Wow. So he was... Like, literally the beer king of Texas. Across from the Alamo. Right. The beer king of Texas? All of Texas? Yeah. Wow. He was known as the beer king. He he bought out all of his competitors. So San Antonio at this time, this area was basically like where cattle herders and livestock would come through. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was also like a, why are you laughing at me? <laughs> 
I don't know if it's called cattle herders. That's what my research said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the herders of cattle? No, you're, keep going. It was also a place of trade, and there were some military operations there, and then the brewery. <laughs> so I bet he was making pretty good business, though. Yeah, and so then there's the hotel. So this is like a nice little stop for them now. Exactly. There were boarding houses in the area, but Mender was like, no, no, no. We need a hotel. So that's nice. what he did. Yeah. Only after a year of being opened, they started plans to grow their hotel. They had plans to grow it from like 50 rooms to like 300 rooms. They, were, they were ready and raring to go. But then the Civil War happens. Oh, and darn it. they actually gave up their hotel to soldiers mm. during the Civil War. And then I think at a time it even worked as a hospital. Makes sense. Uh-huh. After the war, the menders come back and they go right back to tending to their brewery and growing their hotel. And it grew from a two-story, 50-room hotel to the 300 rooms that they had dreamt of. They did it. Wow. William died in 1971. And some sources said he died in the hotel. Some sources said he didn't. I don't know. He died. And he left the hotel and the brewery to his son and his wife. His son was not really interested in the industry. Sounds mm. like a spoiled brat to me. I mean, come on. <laughs> I want to be the beer king. <laughs> but he's not interested and it's left to Mary to run it all. And she does quite well. She quickly ran an announcement in the local newspaper that she would carry on the business and her husband's death, quote, would cause no change in affairs, unquote, within the hotel or the brewery. You go, Mary. At this time, the train starts coming through San Antonio. Ooh. And this place is hopping. And with Mary at the helm, she gives it a woman's touch and she updates it, all of it. She updates the look, the bathrooms, the water closets. She installs room service bells and it all gets gas sourced. She starts getting old. And like I said, her son wasn't interested in running it all. So she actually sells it to a major John Hammond Camperman in 1881. And he was actually an original contractor of the hotel as they were building onto it. So oh, nice. he knew okay. the building. He, right. he knew it. He was there from the beginning. So in 1881, he takes over and he schnazzes it up even more. Even more. He puts in steam run elevators private bathrooms he added a billiard room a ballroom and i mean you you get it he's it's pretty so one thing that is important that he added was that bar that good old ozzy stumbled out of people have been stumbling out of that bar since the 1890s <laughs> <laughs> wow this bar was made and still maintained beautifully there's like the large mahogany bar and the large ornate furniture you know it's just very 1890s like it's it's still very cool looking and here comes the who's again because the who's who's all came and partook in some <laughs> beverages or food at the bar it was really snazzy the who's had to show up over time a lot of presidents even came they even had this balcony that overlooked the bar for the who women to sit at <laughs> to sit in and enjoy a cocktail but they were away from the men. So these who women were protected up here in this balcony, but they could like overlook all the drama of the men down at the bar. And they could stay away from the rough crowd down there. And I say rough, I mean drunk, yes. But I also mean the rough 
Riders. Do you know who they were? I do know who the Rough Riders are. And now my cocktail comes into play. <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. He tried to... Basically, he used this place. He used this bar to recruit men to join his Rough Riders. Oh, really? He loved this bar and that's what he used it for. He was there regularly. Hiring Ride his horse into town <laughs> and he would go into this bar and... All from my resources, it said he would chat them up. He would give them a compliment. He would make them really like him. He would buy them a drink or two or three. And before they knew it, they'd be waking up, hungover, and heading out to military boot camp. (laughs) Go, Teddy. He was very persuasive, and he recruited many men from this bar. I guess there were even some bullet holes in the bar. They're still there to this day from when Teddy was, he got like really excited in one of his persuasive talks, I'm sure. And he apparently is trying to be very persuasive and he shot his his gun went off and there's bullet marks still in the bar today from when that happened. Oh, Teddy. And he's still being persuasive in death. He has been seen many times sitting at the bar. Apparently he's even Striked up a conversation with others. Striked up, stroke up. I don't know. He's tried to talk to people. I guess he compliments employees. Like maybe he's trying to still coax them into trusting him to become a rough rider still today. Oh my goodness. But a lot of stories I heard is that they will see him sitting at the bar and he will just stare at them. Now that's creepy. And actually, one of my favorite ghost stories, I'm just going to jump to the ghost story now because it was really creepy. There was this guy that started, he had just started working there and it was his first night closing down, closing it up and he's doing his duties and he looks over at the bar and there is a man, Teddy Roosevelt, the ghost of Teddy Roosevelt. It's like transparent, just sitting there staring at him. Ooh. He got freaked out and goes to run to the door of the bar to exit, but they had locked it. They locked it so patrons couldn't get in. (laughs) And so he's like banging on the door, trying to get out of this bar. And he keeps looking over his shoulder and there's Teddy Roosevelt's ghost just staring back at him. Oh, that's creepy. That employee refused to work in the bar ever again and then soon just quit. Wow. Wow. I read this story in multiple places, and I heard it on a podcast called The Haunted Holiday. Now, my question is, is did that guy realize that that was Teddy Roosevelt, or is he just scared that it was a ghost? Right. You know what I mean? Because if I came to the realization, yeah, sure, if I saw a man just sitting there transparent staring at me, I would be terrified too. (laughs) And I'm a ghost person. Like, I'm all about it. But... Then if I realized it was Teddy Roosevelt, I'd be like, oh, my God, I want to go back. Like, I want to see Teddy freaking Roosevelt. Like, that's right or no? Yeah, but still, I mean, I, I would be I would be freaked out. I don't know. Okay, well, I, I don't know that I'd go back and say, hey, Ted, tell me about your time as president. Hey, Ted. <laughs> well, Teddy seems a little too intimate, so I'm just going to go Ted. <laughs> Okay, well, he's not the only ghost at the Menger. Apparently, and this is kind of like what they have, like this is a very nice hotel, and but they've really embraced the ghosts. And they advertise that there are at least 32 spirits reportedly found at the hotel. Oh my, it's a hopping place. 
My favorite is of a woman sitting and knitting in the lobby area of the hotel. One day, an employee of the hotel went up to her and asked if she was comfortable, if she needed anything. The woman stopped, looked at the employee and said, no, and then vanished. Okay. Okay. Now, these are the stories that I can, I can, I can almost see the guy being creeped out by somebody staring at him in the bar. Okay. But this isn't just an apparition. We're talking this full bodied, looks totally like a human, living human is sitting in the lobby knitting. I think it was a real person. They were very rude and that employee was very embarrassed. So made up a story about a ghost. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> She's like, don't bother me. I'm knitting. I'm no. knitting. <laughs> There's also the ghost of Sally White. She was a chambermaid who worked at the hotel. Now, many 1876 stories differ. Some say that she and her husband got into a fight at the hotel. Others say she lived nearby and she got into a fight at home and she ran to the hotel for safety. The story is essentially there was abuse going on in that relationship. She tried to get away from her husband and he either beat her or shot her. I don't know the logistics. I believe he shot her. Now, what I don't understand is that she wasn't taken to a hospital. She was taken to the hotel where she worked and they were caring for her there. I don't know. Maybe she was too far gone. I don't know why they didn't take her to a, a hospital. Was coming there and it would have been faster. Right. It was 1876. Um, but after a couple of days, she did die of her injuries and she died on March 30th, 1876. The hotel paid for her funeral and her burial. And the receipt of this can be seen in the hospital's ledger in a glass display case. Oh, wow. Sally is seen wandering the halls of the hotel, still tending to her chambermaid duties. Many guests have reported seeing a woman in long skirts with a sash or a bandana around her head. Mm. She will be seen carrying a load of laundry or a pile of towels, and then she'll vanish. And apparently she's seen in the hallways, kind of like walking through the walls, and they believe that that's probably where the doors used to be because this hotel, there oh was a... Oh my gosh, that's right, because they added bathrooms and stuff. Yeah, there was renovations from the time it opened to obviously now. And not just renovations, but there was a fire that burnt down, I believe, all the upper floors at a time. And there was a lot of different changes that have been made to this hotel over the years. I mean, the 1800s, like, let's be real. So she's seen in the hallway walking through the walls mm -hmm. so we can only assume those are probably old doorways and there's a paranormal group it's called the sisters grim they give ghost tours of the surrounding area and i think they have some kind of a deal with the menger because they have like packages that you can get at the hotel there's one uh -huh. called a room with a boo <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was awesome but then you get your stay there and then you get a tour and you get some cocktails and it sounds really fun yeah but they have a website, the Sisters Grimm, and on their website, there's actually a lot of comments of people saying that they have seen Sally in the hotel. She's kind of like wow. the main ghost, I think. Now, I'm going to share one of my favorite stories that I read. I saw her too. It was during the day on the second floor in the room towards the front. Her uniform was old-fashioned, light blue. She gave me eye contact for a couple of seconds. Wasn't aware that I saw a ghost until I started reading about the Mender Hotel later that week. It was like seeing a regular person. 
why would a woman wear old-fashioned uniform that didn't match everyone else's uniform, I thought to myself. The articles I read described her perfectly. I'm still freaked out about it. Wow. So these are, it's, it's again, it's the full body thing. Yeah, that's why I picked that out because I know that like blows your mind. <laughs> it does. It does. Because how can you then tell between a real person and a ghost? Another said, I saw her one evening while visiting the hotel on business. I actually took a photo of her standing at the end of the hallway on the second floor. She was wearing a bluish gray dress from the 1800s and was carrying what looked like towels in her hands. She wasn't fully opaque, but was standing in a ray of light in the photo. Oh, he got her? Yeah. Now, there, I didn't see the photo. He didn't post the photo. Darn it. But there are several comments of Sally being seen in the hotel. Several comments like this. And again, in the bluish gray dress with a sash on her head, just the old kind of uniform wow. that was worn then. Now, there also have been other maids seen in the hotel. These maids have been seen in like a silk looking attire, which would have been what the maids wore in uniforms even before Sally's time. Oh, holy smokes. The room service bells will ring, Ew. but they aren't attached and they shouldn't be working anymore. Oh. More bells ringing for you, mother. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> the hotel was very beloved for its time. There was a cattle rancher. Now, he has a really interesting story. His name was Richard King. When he was a kid, his parents sold him to be an indentured servant. So he was very poor. But eventually, he will become one of the biggest cattle barons, like the biggest ranchers in the area. Like he became very wealthy. Oh, I bet he has an interesting story. Yeah, his name was Richard King, and he stayed at this hotel all the time. He loved it. He loved staying at this hotel. So much so that when he was diagnosed with a stomach cancer, he chose to live out his remaining months at the hotel. The hotel. Wow. Mm -hmm. He died in the hotel. And actually, the bed frame in the room in which he died is still the bed frame today. That's pretty cool. As long as it's not the mattress. <laughs> Ew. And then his funeral was even held in the hotel, in the hotel's lobby. Cool. So he is said to be seen in and around where his room would have been in 1885 when he died. It's now called the King's Suite. Okay. And again, he's seen walking through the walls of where they think the doors would have been. Right. And guests have reported him standing at the foot of their bed. <laughs> <laughs> like when they wake up in the middle of the night just standing oh, those there. those stories just scare the bejesus out of me. Ugh. He's also been seen pacing in the room. He's probably like, why the hell are these people in my bed? Like, do I wake <laughs> them up? Like, I just want to go to sleep. Like, what are these people doing? I'm so befuddled. The, the room has like plantation shutters in them. Mm -hmm. And the shutters will open and close on their own which is not easy to do if anybody knows plantation shutters. They're heavy wood, like they're heavier than like regular right. blinds. Or people will hear the plantation shutters opening and closing, but they're not but really they're not. opening and closing. How does that even happen? It's like residual sound or something. 
I don't know. And my well, another interesting thing about this room in this area was is this red orb that a lot of people pick up in pictures and video. And this red orb is seen in and around his room again. And sometimes it'll be seen in the hallway and it'll kind of just like walk down the hall and lead to the room and then just disappear. And it's just this red ball of light, like this red orb. Interesting. And that Haunted Holiday podcast I mentioned before, one of the hosts on there had a really interesting theory was maybe that's like the end of a cigar. Cigar smoke is really common in the hotel. So maybe like why a red light? Why a red orb? Like that's really interesting. Like a like we see orbs all the time in photos and ghost adventures and right. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But like why a red orb? And she was like, well, maybe because cigarette cigar smell is, I guess, pretty prominent in the hotel. Like maybe it's like the edge of the cigar. Interesting. Okay, here's some other stories. If you look into a mirror at the hotel. <laughs> Sometimes you might see another face, a translucent face, (laughs) next to yours. (laughs) Okay, here's something even creepier. Guests have reported beds levitating. The whole bed? Yes. Lifting in the air. (laughs) Does it drop gently or does it just bang down? (laughs) I didn't hear anything about the drop. I just heard about the lift. The kitchen staff have reported floating utensils or in the morning when they come in to open the kitchen, the kitchen has totally been rearranged from the night before when they closed. And my guess is that some kitchens, the staff are constantly arguing with the ghost kitchen staff about how things should be organized (laughs) in this kitchen. There's a young blonde ghost boy that plays with a toy truck, rolling it back and forth, back and forth on the hotel bed and sometimes he'll run the toy truck down guests legs as they sleep oh my gosh lights turn on and off tvs turn on and off temperature changes drastically to get very cold and then they get back to normal there is a ghost i guess they call frisky because he messes with a lot of the female ghosts no Wow. (laughs) I want to hear the real story. Guests. He messes with female guests. And apparently he really likes the guests with red hair. The female ghost. (laughs) Which would probably be more appropriate if we're honest. (laughs) It kind of leads into the question, do ghosts see each other? (sighs) You're getting too deep for me, Mom. I'm not going to get deep talking about Frisky. <laughs> Frisky? What's his That's name? That's what they named him. Frisky. What's his real name? Frisky. <laughs> there was a guest at the hotel who came out of the shower and saw a very clear apparition in their room of a person dressed in a buckskin jacket and gray pants. And they were having a very heated conversation with an unseen presence. They're throwing their hands around and they're saying, quote, are you going to stay or are you going to go? So they do see each other. They apparently said this three times and then vanished. Both of them decided to go. (laughs) (laughs) We're both going. (laughs) 
So one last story, and it's not a ghost story, but it was super interesting, so I have to share it. So the story is told in different ways, but I'm going to share the version I liked the most. There was a performer traveling through San Antonio, and he was staying at the Mendra Hotel. He stayed for a while and then left without paying his bill. Ooh. But what do the chambermaids find that he did leave behind? What? A 750-pound bull alligator. Huh? An alligator? A live alligator. (gasps) And get this. The hotel kept the alligator and named him Bill after the bill that the man never paid. (laughs) Bill lived out his days at the Mendra Hotel for years, chilling at the hotel pool. He hung out in the hotel arboretum. I guess they even brought in alligator friends for him to play with because sometimes he would seem kind of sad. So they bring in alligator <laughs> friends. Actually, one story I read said that said that they bought another alligator to be a constant friend, apparently, with him. And the two hated each other. Like, <laughs> After two years, it, that was it. They they were done. And Bill attacked this other alligator. But the other alligator was much younger and killed poor Bill. Oh, that's how Bill died? Mm-hmm. Poor Bill. Oh. But yes, there was a 750-pound alligator that resided at the hotel, as well as all of these ghosts. Holy smokes. I don't know what I'd rather see, an alligator or a ghost. And, like, uh, again, I don't know the logistics of, like, who left him, but th- there was an alligator left there, and they na- his name was Bill, and he lived at the hotel for years. Wow. Okay, I'm I'm done. That's it. For the menger. Okay. But side note, I don't know exactly the cost of every room. I probably should have known that. Put a sh- probably should have put that in my notes. But I will say that that room with a boo is a really good deal. But they also have, like... Like, honestly, I think the rooms are like $200 plus to stay. And it's a it's a nicer hotel. Mm-hmm. But they have a really, really great veterans or military discount. Like, I think the rooms drop to like maybe $80. Oh, wow. I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah. Oh, good deal. The I like end. when people do that. I agree. Okay. Here's a really, well, it's a story that stuck with me and it's like, it happened a long time ago. So your father and I and his siblings, we went to this honky tonk bar in Dallas someplace. Okay. I mean, we're talking a real honky tonk where you play pool and you play dart at that time. You could smoke. And I mean, it's just this rinky. Was there an alligator walking around? (laughs) No, but his brother, Tom, say he's sophisticated anyway he went up to the bar and he goes do you have any imported beers yes that sounds like my uncle tom the lady at the bar says oh yeah we do (laughs) she she pours him she pours him a course (laughs) i mean it's not from texas it's imported it's imported from from colorado Colorado. (laughs) true story true story Oh, no. Well, now you know the story of how beer came to Texas. And it came from a German immigrant. Wow. 
I don't know how any of that ties together, but <laughs> we'll see when I edit, I guess. I don't know. Oh. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I know you guys are going to miss us when we do the every other week starting in June. So don't forget to join Patreon. We're doing something really fun. We're watching Ghost Adventures and we're putting our reviews and rants and raves on episodes out on our Patreon page. It's <laughs> A video you actually don't just hear us you get to yeah, see our actual faces. video <laughs> and baby finnegan he makes you know he makes the video let's just be honest He's so dang cute so join us on patreon the link to that is in the description of this episode if you want to buy us a cocktail or buy us a muddler first of all <laughs> thanks second of all the link to do that is in the description of this episode as well i mean heck we should just shoot them an address. They could just send us a muddler. That'd be nice. <laughs> and thank you to all those that have sent us some money yes. for drinks. That is so awesome. It is really cool. Resources and photos for this episode and others can be found on our website. Mom's been working really hard on that website, guys. Go check it out. It's killerhangoverpodcast.com. If you have a ghost story or if you have anything you want to share with us or just say hi. Send us an email at killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget those reviews. Don't forget those reviews, guys. We have a really, really fun goodie we're going to be sending your way if we draw your name, your screen name. I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> this was a good episode, Mom. Fun. Fun. I liked when it, when I liked your face, even though we're virtual, but I liked your face. You liked my it. face? <laughs> I liked your face when it dawned on you who I was going to talk about. When it all started connecting. It took me a while because I've had a cocktail or two, but yeah. Literally, a light bulb went on. <laughs> I think I even verbalized it. Oh! <laughs> it did. <laughs> Yikes. All right, all right well, kiddo. Virtual cheers, mama. Cheers. I love you, kid. <laughs>